Yeah, I got really lost in that conversation. Started talking about burying Beetle, and I'm like, Paul McCartney, Ringo. I had, I was really, then I really was, felt like an idiot. Can I ask you, was Paul really dead? Did they ever figure that out? I don't, you mean before they buried him? Um, well, he did the wings thing. But yeah, and he came out to Block Island on his boat. Oh yeah, at least I heard. Whole, wait a minute, we're rolling. Oh well, then let's roll. I'm Rich, and I'm Mark, and we are two, two guys, guys on, on Block, Block Island. Island. All right, so uh, thanks for joining us today, listeners. We have a great guest, so that's going to hopefully uh, straighten me out on a lot of stuff that I don't know about. Um, he's the, uh, I guess the the connoisseur and master of uh, the Nature Conservancy stuff on Block Island, as well as. Uh, well, he's going to tell us, I think, more than just Block Island. Uh, so welcome to the studio, Scott Cummings. Well, thanks for joining us. Hi, Scott. Us. Uh, hi there. I'm so happy to be here and uh, really excited about chatting with you guys about all things nature. That's what they all say at first. <laughs> nature. You know a lot about nature. That's what they tell me. Yeah. You, how, how did that happen? You know, I, I uh, just, I love, first of all, I just love being outside and being observant. And I spent my summers around Block Island living, living here and just... Uh, when you're here, you're just around it, and you're you live it, and you learn one thing. You're like, oh well, that leads you to something else, and then all of a sudden, you make a career out of it. So let's back up. When did you come out to Block Island? Uh, I was, I don't know. Yeah, give us your three. give us your little yeah. story. My like, story. Where What's it, your where story? Does the block, <laughs> where does the Scott on Block Island begin? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I guess it begins with my dad. He he spent his summers out here, starting when he was, uh, I think, less than a year old. So like in that's late 30s, 1930s. And then, um, you know, he, he loved Block Island and really wanted us to have the same experience. So same thing. I started my Block Island experience when I was maybe like three, four months old. Yeah. And uh, we spent all of our summers here. And then uh, just happened that I love birds. And Block Island happens to be like one of the best places on the East Coast and, and in the world for birds. And, and then... Uh, Nature just, Conservancy had a job, and all of a sudden I'm here year-round, and always where I wanted to end up. And and that's it. Yeah, 20, whatever, 25 years later, here I am. All right, know. well, thanks for uh, stopping in today. <laughs> yeah, that was great. great. Yeah. 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 All right, what are we going to do with the okay. next 53 minutes? <laughs> so when your family first, when you when you say you were younger, did they already own a home here at that time, yeah. or were you renters? So they... No, no. So my, my, my dad's family, when they were out here, they rented at Redgate Farm from, from uh, the Madisons, and then... Um, my folks bought in the 60s, 1960s. And where was your mainland home? Uh, in Maryland, yeah. Okay, so Maryland. Yeah. Ooh, How'd your dad find out about this place so, from so, Maryland? So they were in New Jersey when, where my dad grew up, and their neighbor went to Block Island and said it was a great place for not a lot of money. You know, it was 30s. There was nothing going on here at that yeah. point. And uh, so uh, my dad's family checked it out, and the rest is, you know, that was 84. Five years later, here we yeah. are. And right? they bought their house in the 60s for what? like $25. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty much. They, bought, oh, they <laughs> yeah. bought some land, and then they built Bobby Rose's, I think, second house ever on Block Island that he built was wow. our house. Wow. Yeah. So you guys were kind of like the uh, experiment. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, okay. Still I guess standing. Can... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After that, he's like, I guess I can build houses. I guess, yeah, right. yeah, I could do this. They don't build them like they used to. No, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, my great-grandmother... I think my great grandmother's sister, the two of them bought Block Island for our family, and it was a co-worker that owned a 
a, how, a little cottage across the street from uh, the entrance to Gracie's Cove. And, you know, at work, just said, you really should go check this place out. Again, back in the 20s yeah. or 30s. And, you know. Who would have thought? I, you know, from what I gather, she then they bought it and brought the family up. And the family is like, what did you do this for? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what, there was nothing here. The, the, yeah. the, same nothing. Thing, the same thing happened in my family. This was the first thing my folks ever owned. And it wasn't a house. And it wasn't where they were working. And both my uh, my both my grandparents pulled my dad aside. And were like, <laughs> what the heck? Why? And it turned out to be the best thing they ever did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> I'm so grateful it, you know, it happened that way. It's like, you know, we hear so so many stories like that too it's great it's i wish really, my you know, people were smarter well they were smart in their own way Every, special I, way i get that a lot um so what would like when you can't so you've been here summers right mm-hmm. for a long time yep. when did you start like working what was your first job out here I, like my, when you were a kid my first job was uh I was like 13. I was I helped build solar panels. You did out here for a, for a guy named Vernon Bowles who sent, passed away a long time ago. Um, this was like I guess uh, late 70s when Carter, you know, energy stuff and yep. And so I made princely sum of five dollars an hour and painted and assembled solar panels. Wow. Them. Yeah. How do those solar panels compare to what's available? I don't now? think they're very good. <laughs> <laughs> they weigh 10 times as yeah, much right. and make half or a quarter of the electricity. And uh, so have you always just had jobs in like, you know, construction stuff and that was in then the nature. When did the na- Oh, and let me ask you this. When did you decide to live out here year round? So I did my first winter out here in 93. Uh, um and loved it and then i was traveling doing i'm a field ornithologist an ornithologist bird guy by by training and so uh i did a bunch of contract jobs for that all around the uh this the northern hemisphere and then this job at the nature conservancy opened up in 1997 for uh being an education person in the schools out here and all that and right up my alley where does one go to learn about ornithology where'd you I went to a, a, a small liberal arts school, Quaker school, called uh, Earlham College in Richmond, Indiana. It just has a really good bird department. It's based on the professors, you know. Yeah. Not based on, like, it's not like one school is known for it, you yeah. know. Gotcha. It's like and, who you want to learn under. Yeah, exactly. Like their books and stuff like yeah. that. But oh. the birds were a thing since you were a kid. Fascinated yeah, with birds. Always. Yeah. What about birds is it that... Well, there, I, I think there's a lot of things. First, there's a lot of them, you know, and you, you see them, but they're still magical, you know, because you can't get that close to them. And, and they uh, fly. They and freaking they fly. know how to fly. Yeah, they're free, you know. I mean, they're, yeah. and they move. They Sometimes they're here. Sometimes they're in the tropics. Um, Do you believe they're the descendants of the dinosaurs? They totally are. Ah, nice. <laughs> Was that yeah. a stupid question? Like, is that a proven fact or... Um, it, it's not a stupid question, but it is a proven fact. And oh, nice. There are some steps along the way. Some uh, like Archaeopteryx is like a middle. Uh, Let me just variant. write that word down real quick. Arche- <laughs> yeah. Archaeopteryx. Okay. That's, that's what like, my parents are like. Well, that word cost me ten grand. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> oh. hmm. Interesting. Oh, you know, look, here comes Scott again with all his big words. Yeah. <laughs> so you started living out here year round, and th- now this year was. COVID, of course, you're married yep. and you had a baby. Right? Yeah, we had a baby oh. in uh, in September That's or cool. August, late August 31st. And how, yeah. how's uh, fatherhood treating oh, you? Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's so a, much fun. And your cool lovely experience. wife is? 
Her name's Claire. Claire. Yep. And what's she do? She's the executive director for the Block Island Conservancy. Oh, wow. So you guys are both... Uh, conservation. Conservation. Tree huggers, yeah. I was going to ask, is it okay? Uh, are you a hippie? Would you consider yourself a hippie? What's <laughs> the matter? Your parents deadbeats or something? Yeah. <laughs> Nicks? I mean, you know, I, I, I don't... I don't consider that term offensive i don't really call my i i would i guess if i were gonna call myself anything would be a tree hugger more than more than a hippie more than a hippie but yeah hippie's more of a social thing Thing. has more social connotations yeah yeah Yeah. have you ever literally hugged a tree absolutely what's it like i mean haven't you (laughs) i have yeah a couple times usually behind kittens when i had too much to drink (laughs) (laughs) you're my best friend you're my friend tree i love you the only one that understands me um there, no, I uh, there is yes, I I have. There was uh, another substance involved that was uh, also organic, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I definitely felt some vibrations and aura from the tree. Yes, I have. Well, the trees are not lying. They've been around a long time. Some of them, you know. And if they're not, incredible. if they're not here, we're not here. That's yeah, the truth. This you know? is the truth, and sadly, that's happening. And birds live in them. And birds do live in them. Yep. Was your wife as uh, involved? Did 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 she have the same conservancy and nature, you know, love that you have had, or did when you met, did she get more into it? Or no, she's she, she, she's she always has been there. She's always been there too. I think it, it's really a you know, it's something that finds you. You don't sort of find it later. You right. know, I yeah. think it's like it's it's in your core. Yeah, I like her. By the way, she I've done a lot of rescue calls with her That's on the right. rescue squad, and she's always uh, pleasant. I, it's one of those ones you smile when she shows up with you. You know, you're just yeah. happy, and she's very calm, and she's good. That's kind of yeah. what you want on the rescue squad. Yeah. Someone who you can, do, and as a, and as a wife, and, <laughs> <laughs> true, great mother, yeah. no CPR, yeah, I mean, exactly. you know, all the qualifications. <laughs> Um, can you uh, go through the different conservancies on Block Island sure. for our listeners? Uh, there's the Autobahn, the Block Island Conservancy, the Nature Conservancy, and the Land Trust. Yeah, so we'll, let's do the on-island ones, and then we'll talk okay. about the off-island ones for, uh, after. So on-island, there's the Nature Conservancy, the Block Island Conservancy, and the Block Island Land Trust. The Nature Conservancy is an international group. That's who I work for. We're the largest conservation organization in the world, and uh, we're focused on biodiversity, plants and animals, and what they need to survive and thrive. Uh, Block Island Conservancy is local grassroots group. They are uh, they were the first land trust in in Rhode Island. They were formed in 1972 by Rob Lewis um, in direct response to Robman's Hollow, the Robman's Hollow acquisition. Uh, they're focused on conserving land for educational views uh, and uh, heritage. And then lastly is the Block Island Land Trust. They're a municipal organization that receives their funding through uh, transfer t- land transfer tax. So anytime a piece of property transfers, there's a 3% uh, check that's written that goes to land trust for acquiring land for recreational, aquifer protection, agriculture, that sort of thing. Yeah. So those are our on-island groups that work together. The town's also uh, very involved in a lot of acquisitions. Uh, and then and then on the mainland, we have the Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management, which is the state group. We have U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and we have Rhode Island Audubon. How so, do those groups all work together? Are you all pretty commingled and on the same page? I mean... Absolutely. I You know, I think... It's a real success story, Block Island. So, 1972, there were, other than Nathan Mott Park, 
There was no land conserved on Block Island in 1972. Robbins Hollow kicked it all off. We're now at 47.1% conserved. And that would never have happened without all the organizations checking egos at the door and working together. Each organization realizing, I do this really well, you do that really well, let's go together and get this done. And and if you look at most of the ownerships and the way we manage our properties in the Greenway, it's all collaboratively, it's all uh, jointly to get uh to the to the objective to the goal so when you say jointly do they invest financially together as well when you say jointly do you mean <laughs> jointly? you're like yeah let's i gotta go find a tree yeah, right. <laughs> um it, it can be financial it can be uh management, management. Yeah. it can be like people management it can be um who's who's the best uh, who has the best expertise in a certain area um sort of the whole gamut everything's on the table now, when you, you said 1972, very little conserved out here, just the one yep. area. At that point, were we behind in general, or was it the same everywhere kind yeah, of Was it even point? a thought at this I, point? I, I think it wasn't really uh, as much of a thought. I mean, I was a year old, so I... Right. <laughs> you know, what do I know? <laughs> it was great. The diapers you were, were just awesome. Like, you were like, what are these flying things? I'm obsessed with them. Yeah, right. I'm... Non-disposable diapers, yeah. mind you. Just all cloth. Yeah, all cloth. Yes, yes, they yes. actually were. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. Um, Remember those little safety pins with the duck heads on them? Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden, big, you know, social media pops up at him in a, you know, disposable diaper and just <laughs> trashes them. Scott Cummings. Can't believe you. Unbelievable. The, 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 the disposable diaper <laughs> lobby will come after yeah. me it's awesome yeah. that's still in a landfill somewhere <laughs> and i saw him using a straw once <laughs> uh, so what uh the first purchase was robin's hollow that's said. right and that's a huge huge how many acres is well the, the first part was was only it was uh 18 acres and is added on and now is about 600 acres when you count robin's hollow and lewis farm and dickens farm which all connect okay and i think getting back to what you were saying was it a thing it wasn't at that point people the island was not very developed you know you could go cross lots if you wanted to which basically was you as long as you close the gate behind you you could go you know, on a journey when you, anywhere on Block Island, you know, no trespassing wasn't really a thing as I understand it. And so, you know, I think part of the conservation movement on the island and throughout the United States is in direct response to 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 where we are now, which is yeah. these lands are coveted and 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 often uh, as soon as they're purchased, they exploit off. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, and so the Lewis family was really instrumental and yeah. had this foresight that not many people had at that time, maybe. That's right. And got everyone on board. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, they were the, 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 the center, but, you know, that ethic was already here. Yeah. You know, Miss Dickens, for generations, taught school kids about the importance of birds, the importance of the island. Yep. And, um, you know, I think... There are there are, there are always lots of people doing things and feeling really important about a place, but you need that one person to kind of galvanize the yeah. thinking, and I think that's what you know Rob yeah. did, and then Keith and David, kind of followed. a driver that, and that yep. family was brought up in our uh, podcast with uh, Ed McGovern because at the time he was first warned and said the battle because you know realty companies on the mainland were really lobbying against that 3% because they were afraid that it was going to set a trend and all of a sudden they'd have to be you know 
telling the homeowner, hey, by the way, on top of that price, you got another three percent you got to come up with. And but they but they managed to get it through. And I hear the the Lewis family had a lot of a lot of help in that happening. And was it true? Bo Gemp involved as well, or was that for the pond? I think that was more for the pond. That more for pond. the pond. Right. right. Oh, that, okay. But was, that was a huge thing too. I mean, that right. was the first uh, no discharge pond I think in Rhode Island. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what you were saying is like, you know, oh, this is your specialty area. That's what you're good at. I mean, that's what was happening with the uh, government agencies. But also there were people on the island that had, you know, favorite, let's just say, you know, spots that they cared about. And, you know, Bo Gemp was out on the pond a lot. And he's like, I'm going to focus on this. And the Lewises were there. So everyone mm -hmm. comes together, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, the only way to, it's the only way that this could have happened. If we f fight amongst ourselves, yeah. we would never have gotten anywhere. And you know, I think that's what's so important about this place is it captures your imagination. And there's there's so much in, a, you know, it's the, the island's only 6,000 acres. It's nine and a half square miles. You know, it's, but there's so much there. Yeah. It's so yeah. rich and, you know, there you can you can spend your whole life here and see new things every day yeah and yes. or you can be here for a day and feel the same way yeah and and, I, and it's a saving grace and i it. get you it's kind of like the island itself i don't want to sound all hokey here but the the island itself kind of becomes this guiding light to make everybody say hey mm -hmm. yeah that's what's important mm -hmm. okay yeah. let's not you know and what can we do together as a group and a team but so. and, and and the generational part of it too, you know the the idea that my kids can play on the same beaches that my parents did or my grandparents did. Yeah, that generational that this place hasn't changed. It's changed a lot. Don't get me wrong. It has, but the core is still here. Yeah, yeah. it's a gift, it's and a it's gift. a gift that you want to pass on. And there've right. been a lot of people who have donated land that's right correct is that is that that's the land trust or is that no, no it's no, all sorry. of us it's all of us you know that you can donate to any group okay um who, uh, can you name can you talk about some of the families or people who are of, of note maybe that have donated larger tracts and chunks of land so I, i'll just say first and foremost they're of the 47 percent about half of that is donated which is incredible which wow. is incredible so, and what that donations allow is you can take that especially when there were more grants around, you could take those donations and use the fair market value of them as match to bring additional funds to acquire more land. Um, so, so that's sort of how it's happened. I mean, it's, it's so hard to name without leaving other people out. Sure. So I, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I think, okay. you I, think I, I mean, I'll, I'll say like, you know, certainly the largest one is the, is the Lapham family. You know, they, they yeah. donated, uh, you know, 150 acres on Clayhead. It's what you see when you come in on the ferry. Wow. There's the, they, and we know this doesn't mean the person who gave a quarter no. acre, you know, is just as important. Right. They're yes. all important, you know, and I they mean, all connect. Yeah. And that, and we've been, you know, we're very careful about, you know, including everyone because yeah. it really has taken a village. And what everyone gives what they can give. That's right. I mean, that's our our experience, and I definitely wasn't trying to make it like, oh, give me the top ten. Yeah, list. yeah. yeah. No, I really wasn't trying to. He just meant the top three, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I always say one man's nickel is another man's dollar. Yeah, you know right. what I mean, and it's it. You know, for or, some people, yeah. handing over a dollar it means less than the other guy might. A nickel's important, you know. Yeah. And there was just a uh, the town has just acquired another tract of land a couple weeks ago, or uh, the deals uh, over. 
that, between that, the it, overlook. It, it's in process. In process. Yeah. It's a okay. sticky one. Yeah, people seem to have different opinions about it. Yeah, and surprisingly, people that are almost always on the same page, I think, I'm yeah. seeing like, I don't know, I read a little about it. And yeah. It's, it's, you know. Do you mind telling wonky. us, are you where you fall on that side of the? Well, we're, we're a supporter, Nature Conservancy supporter, and um, we're part of the deal. We're, we're, we're going to fundraise around yeah. putting it in and putting money into the project. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of steps between making a transaction together. And so this one's in process yeah. and, and, uh, um, you know, hopefully we'll close in the next few months, right. you know, six, five, this five land six is months. Not being donated. It's this, not being donated. It's no. being paid for f- f- full fair market full value. Fair. And that's been established, you know, by an appraisal and, and 10.5. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be verified by another appraisal, which is in right. process. Right. And, yeah. But I, and then I hear rumors, uh, or maybe not rumors, just talk of ideas. Is it, is it okay to use some of that land for, I guess it depends on the donors. So in other words, like there was talk of, uh, using the, the, the land we're talking about called part of the overlook property. It's basically this big open meadow on the corner of Champlin's Road and Westside Road and, uh, next to Sam Packham. Yeah. So it's conveniently, you know, located with access to the to new harbor and all that stuff so there's talk about you know putting a harbor master uh, office there right because they work out of a i don't know what shack barge. it's the not barge. even a shack yeah the barge has been here forever yeah and um, did you guys ever think of like going to the guy who's selling it and being like are you sure you don't want to donate it we we always do that <laughs> you give well, me the option it's called, it's called leading with the gift we right. always go and ask folks for a <laughs> gift first and, yeah. and and so he was like nah you know, everyone has their own motivations yeah, sure. and everyone has their own family responsibilities. And, and I don't I don't know what I'd do if I had that. I, I'd have a hard time donating. A it's tricky. Of, it's I, yeah. When our my mom was left uh, land and, you know, we decided to buy something a little more efficient for us yeah. with multiple buildings and lots. It was um not the same views and stuff, but it, for us, it made sense for the family. So she opted to sell the land that was left here on the West side to the nature conservancy. One of, I don't know if it was a block. Island conservancy. No, it was us. It was you. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And the phone rang before the deal was sealed from a developer. I'm not going to name them. And, um, you know, offering abundantly more cash yeah. and she declined, you know, so that was her way of saying, I don't, you know, yeah. I don't care about the, you know, she did care. That's where you said it. It meant a lot, you know, 20, Absolutely. 30 grand yeah. means a lot, huge. especially, you know, going back 20 years. Yeah. And, um, but still the decision was made to stick with the nature conservancy. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was a good call. Well, that's great. I'm just, I'm glad to see that the Island still is just acquiring open spaces because they're not making any more. They're not making any more. And there's still a lot, of property i think that people thinks can serve because it doesn't have a house on it yeah. it's not and then you you see the you know the next week it's cleared and then you know it, it goes yep. from there um that was my next question well one of my questions mm-hmm. um where where do you where do you feel we are with more available land you know, do you think we can break the fifty percent mark? Do you think it's, it's going to be really hard? It is. It's just because be of really, what's available out it, there, and just the you know, you if you're you're talking, so you're almost talking three percent. That's like, you know, one hundred and eighty acres. That's yeah, a lot of that's a lot of money and a lot of land, and we're not just looking. You know, there is a plan to. Not, the goal is for the properties to function as habitat too. So it me- really means you're looking for properties that are near 
preserves, not what we would call an island where it's like right, surrounded by right. development. So it's not just you're looking at every piece that's left on Block Island going, we, well, we just got to get you know, no, whatever look, of that. You're, you're looking for certain pieces. You're looking for that magical piece that is the same thing that a lot of new money coming to Block Island is looking for to build on. There's you know? a, certainly a lot of threat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the challenge. So it, well, it absolutely is. And, and, you know, we're within what, a two or three hours drive of 50 million people, you know? So, yeah. I mean, we're, it's who no longer really want to live in cities who so no much. longer want to live in cities. Yeah. So, I mean, and this oh, yeah. isn't just a block Island problem right now. You know, I work a lot on the mainland too. Um, and we're seeing it in all of the coastal um, so when places. you when you what is your position and what do you do you know when you say you work on the mainland a lot too do you work mainland New England Massachusetts all over or just are you just Rhode Island I'm, I'm just Rhode Island so my title is associate state director for the Nature Conservancy Nature Conservancy's Rhode Island chapter so I oversee our conservation and operations pro- projects so I do a lot of land acquisition um, stewardship education. Um, uh, restoration, that sort of so, stuff. So I work just throughout the state, but I'm based here. I haven't actually been to the mainland for work <laughs> in like a year and a little bit. You know, oh, it's amazing so it's what you same. can do over Zoom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry with everybody. Do you, have you ever gone on to like conventions, national conventions for the sure. nature? Those must get pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. I mean, and it's it's, it's also our biggest. I think the biggest th- for for us being such a global organization is like not to reinvent the wheel, you know? And so like getting together and talking shop and figuring out what other people are doing to get to, to use our donors money the most wisely is, is really prudent. And, you know, we're doing all sorts of things from dam removal to adding thin, it's called thin layer deposition. So adding material to marshes so they don't flood. Um, you know, so we're doing a lot of really innovative stuff in addition to our old standby, buy land, conserve it, do the general maintenance. Open well, it to maintenance, the public. yeah. I mean, you yep. know, you can buy anything you want, but if you don't do some sort of maintenance yeah. to it, it's, uh, you know, I've always wondered, and this isn't a hotspot question, but sometimes I see land bought by the conservancy and the first thing to do is clear cut it. I mean, is that uh, an okay standard procedure? I mean, apparently it is, but what's the, it's, or why would you do that? It's all about location. Okay. So, so, so certain so, spots might be good for birds nesting and you want to give them a better environment, say. Or, yeah. You know. So thumbnail, just thumbnail Southwest. You know, we're trying to add grassland, you know, so we would clear it then. And and it's not just clear it and walk away, because if you do that, then you get a lot of invasive plants like multiple rose and and black swallowwort and mile a minute weed. It's, it's steward it so that you get the grasses in the fields. You want the meadow. The meadow. And so so we want to keep adding that. And then more on the north end, so center of the island in the north end, we want it to be in shrubland because that's really good for migratory songbirds and around ponds is really important to have that buffer. Um, and, and, um, Block Island has some of the best coastal shrublands on the East coast. Huh? That's interesting. I, I had no idea that that was the strategy in terms of, you know, clearing stuff and, and where, boy, are we learning are. I know. Yeah. Well, that's why I asked that question. It's a good question. I, like I said, I see some spots treated. They just seem to be treating them different. Yeah. That was a great yeah. answer. And now. thanks for dumbing it down for us. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Thumb thumbnail. Yeah. Okay, for you bozos. Yeah. I'm gonna All give right. you yeah. this answer. He's like, yeah, let me let no, me. No, but that makes sense. And yeah. That's pretty cool. It's amazing. You know? And it's also not putting all. You know, we're we're 
we we're we're managing stuff as best as we can based on the best available science. Yeah. Right. But stuff changes. So you know, we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. We don't mow everything at the same time. We don't, you know, yeah. we're really trying to make sure that we do what we think is right but also hedge our bets just enough so if things change and they're going to when and, they we're, change. and, and yeah. when they change and we're in a ma- you know with with climate change and that sort of thing we're in a major period of shift yeah. and a lot of of annual cycles are changing pretty drastically in a really rapid rate of time i think this year more than ever i could be wrong but i feel the i feel the allergies and the pollen are being drastically they're starting earlier and harder and there's more of an overlap between different species of trees and plants is that the environment trying to take revenge on us as humans and kill us (laughs) (laughs) i would if i was you know i think i mean you talk to trees you could probably (laughs) i think you know i i think there's a lot that we need to pay attention to as we move into this really dramatic period of change and there's a lot of innovative solutions out there and it's just yeah figuring out what's going to work and trying to get ahead of it rather than playing you know the playing defense is like a hurricane hits and then we go back and kind of build it back what it was yeah you know it's like that doesn't get us where we need to be the other human philosophy i find is you know most people don't react or take anything seriously until it actually affects their life that's right and when this one affects, the, by the time this one affects everybody's life, it's almost it's it too could late. be irreversible. You know, I mean, it's not like you're gonna be like, oh, you know what? They were right. It was really hot now. What yeah. can we do? Uh, you know. I learned about this thing in college called the Gaia hypothesis. And this is Gaia is the like Mother Earth. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, we're going to kill the planet. Human beings are killing the planet. It's like, no, it's not. You're going to make the planet uninhabitable and you're right. all going to die. Yeah. And then the planet's going to come back to life without Planet's you there. gonna be fine yeah, yeah. or like yeah we're not yeah exactly yeah. yeah well i mean and then that's just you look at like the you know the timeline of the world yeah since formation <laughs> to where we are now like we're like a dot yeah. <laughs> on that on that yeah. timeline well and, and it's tough when you have people that believe the world was you know invented by somebody a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago or three thousand years ago well you know, and Not I think, that, you know, you think whatever. Oh, yeah. No, I don't. I'm I'm a pretty firm believer in science and evolution. Yeah, I think that those dots and blips on the timeline that is Earth's story, there's there's frequently been dashes where there was no life. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's how that's what I believe. in. Anyway. Yeah. After major, you know, events, events asteroid, you know, the di- dinosaurs and all that yeah. major and that's yeah. only going back 65 million years. Yeah, that's not <laughs> even that far. <laughs> yeah. you know? How long has the Earth been around? 200 million? It's something like that. Yeah. I've been out of school long enough. I've <laughs> sort of forgotten a lot of that part. <laughs> wow. Um, well, look, you know what? Can we take a break right now? Because we have to check in with our sponsors. All right. Um, when we come back, can we talk about birds a little more? A Absolutely. lot more. Super interested in birds. I'm dying to talk about the tufted titmouse. Oh, I'm really looking forward to talking about the uh, red-throated swallow. I think you made that up. I did. Uh, <laughs> we'll be right back before I say more stupid stuff. All right, here's a great activity you don't want to miss on your next visit to Block Island. Exploring the Great Salt Pond in a kayak from Fort Island Kayaks. The Great Salt Pond is one of Block Island's true gems, and I would say one of the most beautiful harbors in all of New England. Now, I know I said kayak, but Fort Island Kayaks has stand-up paddle boards, Hobie pedal boards, as well as kayaks in all different sizes. I'm pretty sure they've even added the triple-seater and a peekaboo glass-bottom kayak. You can rent by the hour, half-day, full-day, or even an entire week. 
Explore the hidden coves of the pristine inner ponds. Find your own little spot to take a dip or soak up some sun. There's spectacular scenery around every bend, and you will get some views of the island that you really can't see any other way. Whether you're flying solo or with the whole family, make sure this is one on your to-do list. Oh yeah, here's a tip. If your group is six or more, you definitely want to reserve in advance. Fort Island Kayaks is operated by our friends over at Block Island Fishworks and is located right next door. For rates, availability, and reservations, visit their website at bifishworks.com or give them a call at 401-466-5392. So, Mark, I wonder if that glass bottom kayak, you could find maybe Captain Kidd's treasure or something. Ooh, that's exciting, right? You could uh, turn your afternoon into a treasure hunt. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. Those pedal boards look really cool, too. A bicycle on the water. What will they think of next? Ugh, modern science. Captain Nick's Rock and Roll Bar is Block Island's premier night spot and live music venue, bringing only the best in summertime entertainment since 1976. Monday nights are still groovy, so dress in your 70s best for disco night. Then get ready to sing along on Tuesdays and Wednesdays with Neil Haven's Dueling Pianos. Friday and Saturday nights, Captain Nick's features the best cover party and tribute bands in New England. And don't miss the legendary Captain Nick's Sunday Fun Day with the Young Guns from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. on the deck. Captain Nick's is proud to feature its new food menu seven days a week from 4.30 to close, which means late night grub until 12.30 a.m. seven days a week. Lunch is served Thursday through Sunday at noon. And if you're looking for the island's best mudslide, Nick's is also the spot for afternoon fun when you come off the beach with great acoustic entertainment outside on the deck. Captain Nick's Rock and Roll Bar, 34 Ocean Avenue, right across from the Block Island Grocery. Visit CaptainNick'sBI.com for all information. Hey, Mark, who are you most excited to see this summer at Captain Nick's? I always love the Blushing Brides, the Rolling Stones tribute band. You almost feel like you're looking at the real Mick Jagger. So have you ever heard about C-Pod? When springtime hits, C-Pod Construction puts down their hammers and goes into full-on delivery mode. From Memorial Day to Labor Day, C-Pod will deliver anything anywhere on the island. As Bobby likes to say, if it's legal, it gets delivered. It's so easy to click that button and order a couch, but how do you get it up to your house? C-Pod, that's right, furniture, appliances, pretty much anything you can get over on the ferry or the plane, they will get it to you. Let's say you're having a great day at Mansion Beach, but uh uh-oh, out of beer. Well... Ring up the store, order what you need, and then call Bobby at Seapod. Yep, and the beer comes to you at the beach. Here's my favorite. From 5 to 10 every night, Seapod will deliver takeout from any restaurant on the island. After a long day of sun and fun, what could be better than having dinner come to you? They deliver sand to sail, hotel to house. For anything anywhere on Block Island, call Seapod at 401-871-5061. Tell Bobby we said hi. So I almost accept this as a challenge, Mark. Do you think we could come up with something that Bobby can't deliver? I mean, an elephant, perhaps? or But you know what? I wouldn't even put it past him. He'd find a way. Last time I bought an elephant, I just picked it up myself. But it's much easier to call Seapod. A real diamond of Dodge Street, the Darius Inn is truly a slice of heaven. Sisters Christy and Becca Zent have brought this historic 1800s building into its newest life as the Darius Inn. Their eye for design is second only to their warm and friendly roles as hosts. The clean and tastefully decorated accommodations at the Darius have something to offer every lifestyle. You can step out your door onto your own street-level deck and people watch for hours, or maybe you prefer to be away from the action in one of the tranquil hiding spots on the property. Either way, you simply can't beat the location. Ferries, shops, restaurants, and beaches are literally just steps away. Oh, 
and the breakfast is the bomb, fresh and delicious every morning. You can hear the story of the Zent Sisters in the Darius Inn, Season 1, Episode 12 of our Two Guys on Block Island podcast. To book a stay or learn more about all the Darius has to offer, check out the Darius Inn at DariusBlockIsland.com. Rich, you know what I love about the Darius is that it has its own sense of style. Oh, yeah. It's it's groovy. It's groovy. And it's not just sailboats and lighthouses at the Darius. No. And, you know, I'm a little bit of a foodie. And I love that they put their heart and soul into the breakfast. It's all fresh, homemade stuff. You know, it's just great. You can taste the love. You can. But remember, you got to be a guest to have yeah, the breakfast. Yeah, found that out the hard way. <laughs> All right, uh, so we're back with Scott Cummings on a great conversation about nature and conservancy, and Mark wants to talk birds, more birds. I would like to learn more about birds. I, I do, too, but I have one, one oh, now I forgot my question. You want to go to birds? I, you got to, yeah, let's go Yeah, if you think birds. about it, come back. Oh, I know. This is kind of a crazy question. So I'm not from New England. I'm from New York. Grew up in Brooklyn, only came to New England to go to Block Island. That was it. I spent about four hours in the car in the rest of New England every summer, and then I would be on Block Island. So since you're in charge of the state, or not in charge, um, you know what I'm saying, at the Nature Conservancy statewide, where's your where's your second go-to spot in the state of Rhode Island? Like, you know, Ooh. Block Island, I'm assuming, is your number one. That's and, a good and question. And like one through nine. <laughs> you know, on the ten, okay, what's, 10 list. Okay, what's number 10.5 yeah. if you, you know, somebody says, listen, you don't have to work, you don't have to do anything, you just have to go enjoy some nature and some conserve land. Where would you go in Rhode Island? Yeah, um, Little Compton's my my second spot because it's like block island used to be <laughs> <laughs> it's all about block island reference i mean i'm sure yeah, you guys yeah, have yeah. that too you go some, yeah. someplace new you're like i really like this place it's like block island yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and the people that come here and tell you you know oh you'd love cornwall england you know it's just like this i'm yeah. like well then why would i go there <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> or you travel like to off season other like we go up to harpswell maine which is like block island off season yeah you know uh -huh. yep. but um yeah, yeah there's a lot of really beautiful spots in rhode island for sure and, and like you you know, in Maryland, we drive up and it was all about yep. <laughs> getting to the ferry, you know. And and so I've really in the last, you know, I've been doing this job for about uh, the mainland part of this job for about 12 years. And I've learned so much. And in our, you know, we're a really small state, but we have amazing uh, biodiversity. We have amazing um, uh, preserves and, uh, and the ability to... Um, experience those you know if, if you're in wyoming to get to some of these places you have to drive six hours you know yes, yeah. here you can be within 40 minutes you can yeah. be at like these unbelievably pristine areas um and like in such a small state you know a lot of diversity between land and the sea and the sure. amount of coastline we have and even the variations in the coastline you know like mm -hmm. the the east side of block islands coastline versus a, an inlet all the way up into you know up into Providence and to, to Newport. So it's pretty it's a pretty wild state, Rhode Island. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, there's like 400 miles of shoreline in yeah. Rhode Island alone. It's pretty neat. In Block Island, we are like a stopover place for a, a migratory hotspot for birds, correct? Yes. For, and is that because it's just so pretty? Because birds are like, hey, this is really pretty. I'm just yeah. going to hang out here. Or is it a shortcut? Yeah. <laughs> why why Block Island? Why, why do Block birds Island? Come so here? it's all about location, right? And And – it's important for both for songbirds. It's important for shorebirds, and it's also important for raptors. and And the reason is, is these birds are moving 
in the spring from the south to the north and in the fall from the north to the south. So in simple terms, we're like a rest stop on I-95, you know, <laughs> yeah, like you can say, pull, we're, we're like a, a br- for a break. <laughs> yeah, we're break. You pull over, you know, you take a little snooze, you get, you know, yeah. eat, you drink. We, in, in all seriousness, birds, when they land here, are extremely dehydrated. So they need water. We have some amazing, you know, freshwater ponds that are covered by shrubs. So it's really safe to get in and get a drink. You know, and then they rest and uh, and and eat a little bit, and then as soon as the winds are right, it's all about the winds. Then they continue south or north, depending on where they're going. Really? So, yeah. th- so depending on the winds, they'll some seasons they'll be here longer or shorter. Yeah. So, if, so if if the if they're if they're migrating uh, north and the winds are south, they're gone the next day. If the if they're migrating north and the winds are north, they'll hang out here until the winds change because they want that you can't you can't fight it. And is it generally when when the birds arrive, the migratory birds? Is it generally within like a certain two, yep. three week, or month? How? What is that window? So for for shorebirds, it's April and August. For songbirds and raptors, it's May, and then in the fall, it's uh, it's October or September, October, and a little bit of November. So the uh, can we talk also now about the people who come to Block Island specifically? Mm-hmm. to look at birds the bird watchers yep um do you know you must know a bunch of bird watchers yeah it's a small community one yourself <laughs> yeah. do you have uh i mean how many people would you say you know guesstimate come out here to check out birds yeah that's a it, it's really hard to get a number on that but it's a significant percentage especially in the fall we're really known for fall migration and yeah. you see a lot of people do, yeah, yeah. And every day with binoculars yeah. and you know and and then i know audubon both massachusetts connecticut and rhode island audubons all run trips out here and so yeah so i would say it's a pretty good percentage in the fall for yeah sure. and this is a sought after spot it is because this is where you're likely to see certain things you wouldn't see elsewhere or you'd have to work a lot harder yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. if you go in the fall, if you go it's out, all about lazy stuff. It's right? all about lazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also they call it warbler neck. Like on the mainland, you get warbler neck because you're always looking up in fifty foot trees. Whereas here, it's everything's pretty much oh. eye level or a little bit, oh. so it's a little easier on the neck. Most of pro, our stuff over fifty feet got blown away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> they said, "How was that hurricane?" I'm like, well, if it wasn't gone before, it, it it's not going anywhere. You know, it's already gone. Can you talk about some of the gear you might want if you're a bird watcher to come out? Because there's some. some hats that i find interesting there's the hat is a very specific bird watching hat some, I, yeah me. some people everyone has a different type of hat but the key really is the uh, binoculars you got to have okay. a really solid pair of binoculars that are that are able to withstand sun and or, or sand and dirt and yeah so you, you they need to be pretty heavy duty and usually you want to have you know between eight and ten magnification so you can kind of get in there and see what's what's going on and when you, uh, I see a number of uh, bird watchers with notebooks. Yep. So it's you keep track of what birds you've you've actually seen. That's that's the right thing. Yeah, you keep track of them. You keep track of numbers. Uh, it's species. like a collection. Yeah, yeah it's a collection. Your, your book is your collection of that's what right. you've seen. That's right. It's, uh, they call it a life list. You yep. keep track of, and you can do a, a big year where you're trying to keep track of all the birds you see in a year. There's also a thing called eBird, which is a community science thing run by Cornell. I think Cornell Lab of Ornithology, where you can uh, enter in what you see in an area, and that becomes a 
big group of a uh, big set of data. Um, there's also bird counts, Christmas bird count, and others that are ways of tracking population trends over the long term. So that like the Christmas bird count's been done on Block Island since 1928. It's been done uh, in other places since 1902. And really shows the shift, not just sometimes the loss of some birds, but the shift as the habitat changes, bird species change. Do you know off the top of your head, more or less, how many different species of birds are in your list of birds you've seen? Yeah, it's around a couple thousand. In the world. Different like, species. Yeah, that, different, I've seen a couple. Over about, uh, there, so there's about 10,000 species in the world. I've seen a couple thousand of them. And 20 something keep up the good work yeah yeah <laughs> you got a little ways to go i yeah. got a long ways to go well you got to get to like australia New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. i've been to galapagos yeah so i've I'm done bird work down there yeah but i haven't been to like australia new zealand's like um a third of the world's oh, bird really? species are right there i mean that's got to be on your list of things oh absolutely do, right? yeah i just yeah. this whole job thing gets in the way yeah. <laughs> well now you have a kid too so yeah, yeah like i'm not going anywhere <laughs> <laughs> well, you know you never know uh, maybe we'll send you a christmas gift or something yeah or maybe it's a good excuse for us all to go to new zealand together yeah would you want to roll to new zealand with me and rich absolutely we'll have a good time i wouldn't but i'll go anyway <laughs> <laughs> Just knock us out for the plane ride. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's me a too. It's a long ride. That's a it's long like ride. 18 hours? Yeah, yeah. Long, yeah. It's crazy. Wow. Um, can you talk? I think the piping plover is probably the most well-known, or for whatever reason, bird on Block Island. And they nest up at the North Point. They, they actually don't nest on Block Island anymore. They don't. They haven't nested. Uh, they haven't. There was a... So they use and up until the late 1970s, they were a pretty regular nester on Block Island. They nest on the beaches. They basically hollow out a little area in the sand and then sort of line it with some shell and lay their eggs in there. So they're very vulnerable to all sorts of things from seagulls, crows, gull, 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 gulls, crows, uh, rats, people, dogs. Storm floods, you know, multiple you know, eggs or one. Uh, four, they they lay them one a day f- for uh, for four days running, so okay. four eggs total. Um, so there's been, to my knowledge, there's been one successful nest in the last forty years on Block Island. That's it. That's Oof. it. And there've been a few. There've been more than a few, especially in between like 2000 and 2010. There were a bunch of nests that all failed. Um, but I would say what we're really known for, other than our migrations, what we're known for nesting bird-wise is um, northern harrier, the hawk you see yes. flying up and down, the, um, especially up and down the neck with the white tail patch. They're, like a white stripe across yeah, the Yeah, uh, yep, and they have their wings are way, like kind of almost form a V. They're, that's a species that was once common on the mainland. It's pretty rare out is here that at such this point. A, is, is there such a thing as a ringtail marsh hawk, or did my family make that up? There is. There's a marsh hawk that's now the north called the northern harrier. Oh, okay. Oh, so okay. that that is true. Ringtail part is just a okay, you know, just descriptor. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, I like it. And there like was now, there, my family. Oh, sorry, not I, at all. I don't know if this is true or not, but so we owned Franklin Swamp. I mm-hmm. actually. You know, my brother and I own a, you know, like a fifth of it now since my mom passed away. And I remember there was a huge amount of excitement when they nested there because it That's might right. have been the first time in a long time that we had it. It might have been the first nesting pair on Block Island either in a long time or ever. And uh, I think John Fournier actually yep. went down and set up a, a blind. And so what, what he does is he sets up the blind and then every day you move it an inch or two closer. And before you know it, you're literally photographing right on top of the nest. But, wow. they're, but they're used to you because you yeah. eased your way in. 
Yeah, the, his photos are spectacular, and they, the the Harriers do this thing called a sky dance, which is basically the male does barrel rolls around the female, and that's how they get in the mood. And then they pick a spot, and Franklin Swamp is certainly still a really important nest, and there's about ten of them or so on Block Island at this point. And then once they have nest uh, nestlings and that sort of thing, the males do what's called a prey pass, so they go out and grab a bird or a vole or whatever, and then, then they drive by and they just drop it. Right at the nest for the female. Okay, sort of like cool. uh, this is sort of like buying you a drink. Yeah, oh my right. god, I, think I've seen I was that. just gonna say yeah. that yeah. exactly. It happens at Captain. I'm Nick's. Say, I've yeah, seen right. it downstairs. <laughs> Every seen night. the barrel roll followed yeah. by a margarita. <laughs> yep, and then at the end of the night, the floor looks like a swamp too. So it does. It's like, it does. You know. And, and they and they nest on the ground, which is pretty unique um, for a species. And we're really lucky because we don't have a lot of ground. We don't have any ground predators. You know, right, the, right. the coyotes or skunk or yeah, you know, those sort of things. We don't have any of those out here, so we have extremely high nest success for harriers. Wow. That's cool. And there was a snowy owl spotted, or this winter. Yeah, the, yeah. most winters we have them nowadays. Um, but I, I think I feel like when at first. We, was it always that like that? Because I feel like when it showed up, everyone was like, oh, my God, there's a snowy owl. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Yeah, it it certainly was pretty rare up to the last five years. And now it's been a lot more regular. I think there's a lot happening with climate change and the lemming population. And basically, there's not enough food. And so young birds, young males especially, are getting pushed south. And that's what we're seeing. Wow. And, and so l- let me tell you, they're big. They're big. I got surprised by, oh, I came around the corner and there was. I was within two feet of one perched on a on a railing in uh, Crescent Beach Cottages. Yep. You know, as I was house checking and I went out the door and it it didn't know I was coming. And, you know, did it hiss I, at you? Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> it really? Yeah, well, you know, not like it was going to attack me, but it, no, it, it might have. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it was to buy that. I think it used it to buy that second to, to scare me. It did its job. I froze as soon as it did that. And then the wings open and it was it was amazing. Wow. It really was. Yeah, they're spectacular yeah. birds. Uh, we have tur- turkey vultures where I live uh, in Connecticut. Uh, what do you, are, yeah, is that? It's yeah, on my list. those are huge. Yeah, yep. they're everywhere. They're 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 just starting to be out here a lot more regularly. For a long time, you know, the lore was they didn't like to cross water. Who knows if that's true or not? But recently, you, we've been seeing them pretty regularly out here. Yeah, I've seen a few. I saw yeah. three the other day. Not yeah. necessarily the prettiest birds by no. textbook definition, I no. guess. Yeah. They, but, but they're really well designed when you think about like they don't have any uh, uh, feathers on their head because they're eating dead stuff. Ah, and so they have oh, and they have bacteria. They can get their head right <laughs> yeah. in the guts. Yeah, <laughs> and they have the best predator defense. They vomit. So if you got to, so if that had been a, a, a turkey vulture that you had gotten close to, just you would lo- lo- just give me like, the llama. <laughs> yeah, you would have given you the thrill. the old alpaca love spit. <laughs> I've seen that at Cat the Next too. <laughs> God, there's a lot of the similarities. It's like birds. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate everything to birds, you know, that's sort of how, how my, my frame of reference is. I have another story. This year I acquired, uh, you know, somebody hired me to watch a new house and uh, I was checking the propane tank. It's right below four pine trees and a big owl came out of the tree and um, they, they named him uh, the one from... Um, Harry Potter, what's I forget? Uh, Hedwick or whatever. yeah, something like that. Yeah. I, or it was one of those names, but uh, apparently he's been there for years, living in that tree. Mm-hmm. And of course, I started, started to look, and I could see the owl pellets. You know, the pellets yep. are yeah. So I could see the owl pellets, you know, c- compiling around the base of the tree. Although you'd see the little bones disappear. I think the mice come and 
it's funny. Yeah. A mouse would chew on another mouse's bones, but yeah, well, yeah, and, the, and, the, that and those pellets well. are yeah. The fur, the owl stomach is specially designed to wrap the fur around the bones because they when they cough those yeah. up, if so it, it doesn't if scratch their throats, throat. throat. exactly. Huh? Yep, and those are barn owls, and the okay. barn owls are, uh, you know, we have between four and six pairs of barn owls out here. They nest in the bluff, and then they roost in those trees. And they're very, uh, they have a high fidelity, which means they want to go back to the same spot for their roosting spots. And so those trees, you, you end up with hundreds of pellets on the ground. Oh, Merlin, that's what they call them. Sorry, nothing to do with Harry Potter at all. Yeah. Not even remotely close. My favorite movie owl is Bubo, the mechanical owl from Clash of the Titans. Titans. Oh, awesome. Remember that one? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, kind of like R2-D2, but now. But cooler. Yeah, way cooler. <laughs> and it, it kicked the shit out of that Kraken thing. That's right. Right? That's right. So we went, um, We you, you mentioned Dickens. Is that the woman's name? Miss Dickens, yeah. Miss Dickens, was, Dickens. The, uh, was like the original bird, one of the original bird ladies of yep. Block Island, right? That's she, right. She formed the collection and was the, teaching the kids and stuff. That's right. She was the first Audubon teacher uh, in, in the state of Rhode Island. Here which, on Block Island. Yeah, in like 1912, I want to say. Amazing. And they paid her to go in. At that point, there were one-room schoolhouses. Went paid her to go yeah. in once a, once a month to teach birds to all the kids. Wow. And now Kim Gaffa does a lot of teaching. Yep. She's big yep. into it. And uh, does she, who does the bird banding? Is it just Kim or is that part of a program? Or No, Kim does. Uh, so I do bird banding too. Kim does bird banding. Um, Who's better at it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say who. Join a, how do you but it's join, not Kim. How do you join a bird band? Is it like a boy band? Can you, do you, <laughs> yeah, right. are, are you assembling them in a band? Takes a lifetime of work. <laughs> so yeah. tell us a little bit. I kind of have a little bit of an idea how bird banding works, but how do you, how do you go through the you know for those of us yep. who no, don't know anything about it once again dumb it down for us yeah. absolutely give us the, um, the thumbnail that's where version. i work anyway so <laughs> it makes it easy for me um so kim's been working at a site uh up at clayhead that's been run continuously since i think 1967 so it's a huge wealth of data and and what what it's called is passive misnetting so basically we put up traditional japanese hunting nets for birds and they're and they're um, uh, like thirty six feet long and six feet high, and they're on two poles. And they have basically they used to be made out of silk. They're now made out of nylon, and the birds can't see them, and they fly into them. We go around to check every forty five minutes to an hour, pull the bird out. They're not harmed. Put them in a in a cloth bag so they just kind of chill out because it's dark, and then. Um, bring them back to the banding station. They're measured. They get an aluminum band that's given to us by the uh, federal government and they're released. And at that point, they, you know, if we do our job, they've probably been out of their daily cycle for less than like 15, 20 minutes. We have all the data. If they're caught anywhere, found anywhere else, then that, that gets reported to the bird banding lab. So different bird banding stations they're up and down, up and down, the, down coast the coast will report exactly. just like they do with the tag sharks, that sort of thing. Or so any these, monarchs or anything else, yeah. But these don't have microchips or anything, transponders no, we, in them. No, so these are just, uh, you have to find them dead or find them, okay. caught them in another um, another station. The, the farthest one, I, I banded a barn swallow that was a nestling in my barn that was found dead in Costa Rica. So that's kind of cool. So that stuff does happen. Oh, wow. Um, we are doing, we work with a, a group called Biodiversity Research Institute up in Maine. They come out in the fall and they do raptor banding yeah, on, our, cool. on our property. And uh, 
they put on satellite tags because those birds are bigger and uh, it's a, has a, like a little uh, transponder and a, set, and a solar panel on the back. And so they'll give you data for years. And so we have now, we've put that on about 55 birds, I think. So we have, we can show the pathway for peregrine falcons where they start up in Greenland and, and Northern Canada all the way down to South America. That's amazing. It's unbelievable. It's like science. When I was in college, it would be like science fiction. Now it's reality. Okay. So speaking of migratory patterns, um, when the wind farm went in, mm-hmm. were you involved in, because I know they did a lot of studies about were birds going to be affected by this? And uh, uh, Yeah, absolutely. We, we worked very closely with CRMC and, and others with the special area management plan that was used to as the overarching planning document for wind energy in Rhode Island waters and I think 40 miles or 60 miles out past that into federal waters. We did a lot of the commenting on birds. We commented on a lot of the um, placement. And then also we helped draft some of the pre and post construction monitoring requirements. And it's obviously Scott Cummings approved. Yeah. I mean, not that I, <laughs> I say, you know, you know, I'm not like you know, the veto, min- <laughs> you know, right. no, it right doesn't before work. my signature dried, they were ready to put them <laughs> yeah. in. But uh, obviously, no, but I mean, it, it went up and it yeah. didn't seem like it was no, it, it's in problems. the right spot. And, um, you know, clearly it's formed a reef around it, you know, yeah. artificial reef and birds are using it. Um, you know, I mean, it's a really like all issues there. Yeah. People have thoughts on both sides. Sure. And, and I mean, the, my overarching thing is what's the biggest threat to, uh, to, to the world climate change. Yep. What's one of the major, I mean, just in little block Island, right? Right. We were spending, a, a we were, we were using a million gallons of diesel fuel annually. Yeah. And those turbines prevent that. That alone is a huge well, win. And I mean, I don't want to say it so casually, but, you know, losing a couple of birds is better than losing a whole species. That's right. You yeah. Know, yeah. You know, and it, and I mean, yeah. I think you, you, you what you just mentioned is called resource management. Yes. You know, and we're, we're really looking at what's the best thing. There, there are trade-offs all the time. And yeah, and you, you know, we're just trying and we're we're science based and we look at all the research that's been done and then we we make a decision quite often as a best answer, but not a perfect answer. There's no there's never a perfect right. answer. So you just got to kind of weigh it all out and go with the best. Now, you just to step back one minute. So we talked about the uh, nets that the birds yep. can't see. But when you're dealing with raptors, isn't it a slightly different technique? Yeah, so okay. when you're dealing with raptors, um, this is to catch them and tag them yep. or ban them or what, you know, whatever. It's, it's active netting, and so basically, um, there's someone in a blind that's waiting there to <laughs> to to snap the net when they fly in. And what makes them fly into the net? <laughs> <laughs> Why do I feel like you know the answer to this already? So we set up some sort of a decoy that attracts them in, and then yep. somebody pulls the snare, and it basically entraps, entraps the bird real quick. That's right. Same thing, though. Pretty quick process. And then you safely, you know, pull the bird, bird out, out, tag you it, tag it, it back put the, about its business. They get a little if, – if they're the right size, they get a little backpack. And then like they you said, with the solar on it in the, in the thing. And, it, and it's appropriate weight, um, and, uh, and they fly off. Wow. You know. Any cameras ever go in those? No, I've, I've I've never seen. I think there's a few. I've never been involved in I that. Video, I've seen I've seen videos. I've seen a video but, of a camera where it was supposedly attached to a. Uh, I think it was supposedly attached to a 
um, what Peregrine maybe or might have been or Red Falcon. Sometimes and sometimes they do them. I think I've seen one with an owl and an eagle. Yeah, you'd have to be a really large bird. But as the technology gets better, you know, right now, so there's so there's satellite tags which go to satellites, and you know, you have a lot of. Um, freedom to roam, but there's also a thing called a nanotag, and and those are smaller and they have a short battery life. You know, so you can put on that on a songbird, you know, a ten or twelve gram songbird, and you can get twenty days or so, twenty five days of data. But they have to fly by. And I don't know if you guys have been out to Southeast Light in the summer, but they have there's a yeah. there's that tower. Yep. Oh, and there's one at Black Rock. Um, and we had one up on the north end for a, a little while. But they have to if they fly within twenty miles of that. It it, it, it has a it. it pings and so like some of those towers were pinging like sixty thousand times during migration you know birds flying wow. by wow. so 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 there's just so much information that we're able to gather now and and process and really get an idea of how the species are using the coast and moving around and trying to better manage um, manage for them and make sure as you know, more offshore wind is developed and other other potential uh, things happen that we have an idea of what that effect will be. I have a question. Have you ever done any falconing? Never falconed. Is that a uh, is that a cool thing to do as a bird enthusiast? It, 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 it seems like it would be. You know, okay. I, I'm I'm a. I mean, everyone has what floats their boat. I'm more yeah. of a, I like doing the bird banding and letting them go that way. Um, and I like bird watching. That's sort of what goes with yeah. me. You know, falconing's you know, it's a little too much for me, like having a pet. You know, it's like there's a lot more care involved. Yeah. And, and you really have to put the time and energy in. I've and done some warbling. Warbling? Yeah. What's Isn't that? Is that a kind of bird, a warbler? It is. Warbler. Yeah. The whole suite of I warblers. I usually warble around the bar. Oh, oh, you know, ah, just kind of. I see what you did there. Falconing. Where do you stand on seagulls? Gulls, yeah, yeah. So Miss Dick, Miss Dickens always would say, yeah, "I know where you're going with this." <laughs> there's, no, there's, there's no such thing as a seagull. There's herring gulls and blackback gulls, but there's no such thing as a seagull. And so if you mention like, like, there's all of her students will still say that. So if you were mentioned like seagull, like Adrian Mitchell, he'll he'll yeah. tell you how it is. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so so and so there the gulls we have out here are mostly blackback gull greater blackback gull and herring gull so blackback gulls have black on the wings herring gulls have gray a few other species that we see here and there but we have about all together about six or seven hundred nests that are really between like the north point and bean point and it's the largest gull rookery in the state of rhode island rookery, rookery. i think seagulls oh. get a bad rap like the way pigeons do in the city. I think this place would smell terrible if we didn't have seagulls yeah. to clean up a lot That's, of the. They eat all the. Yeah, yeah they clear, clean yeah. it up and and you know you you just want to make sure they're they're very territorial during breeding season. So if you're up at the North Point, you just want to make sure yeah. not to be walking into the dunes because unless you have your seagull suit on, it's my spirit you know. animal. It's your spirit animal. <laughs> the seagull is my spirit animal. I I believe that it's true. I uh, caught an albatross once by accident. It got caught in my fishing line when we were trawling got, oh, wow. it, got it got it free and set it cool. free i think some old big guy, bird some very old guy very did it. unhappy yeah. that i caught there's it. a poem about that a really famous poem i think um called rhyme of the ancient mariner check never it out. heard of it check um it out. so it out. <laughs> yeah no, you don't want to catch a big bird big big windspan yeah, yeah they have yeah and they'll fly Huge. for like a year yeah like after they're after I gave this one a break. <laughs> <laughs> after they, after they're like born and raised, they when they go off, they they kind of wander the world 
and they're literally aloft for a year. The coasters wow. too. Yeah. They, they just soar on the. That's what they. It's yeah. not a lot of work. And and what's really cool is the um, when you see them take off, and they actually have like a runway because they can't get enough loft. So they actually kind of come when they land. They kind of stumble in, on, yeah, yeah. and then they, when they take off, they have to like go off a bluff, like when a duck tries landing yeah. on land instead so, of water. It's yeah. not quite as graceful. <laughs> so they're kind of like hang gliders. They are sort of like hang gliders, wow. absolutely. And I've seen some eagles out here, and yeah. I heard that some of them come here when they're young, but then don't. This isn't their area once they get older. Yeah, the, the, the you know the size tree they need to to. So pre, yeah. premature enough to, to nest. It's like They'll, folks that work the summer out here, you know? You come ah, out, you do like ah. three, four years, hang <laughs> yeah, out, have yeah. a good time, and then you're like, oh, I got to settle down now. And, and I asked why they were so stupid, because <laughs> I remember canoeing or you know fishing in the pond in a freshwater boat, and literally I came within eight feet of it, sitting yeah. right in a, on a big bayberry branch. And I was astonished at this wild eagle. Which again was I seem to have all these random encounters with these big birds, but it, did, it didn't seem to be afraid of us. Yeah, often the young ones aren't; they haven't learned, um, or they it could have been extremely exhausted. Well, it, it knows just, now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or or maybe it was just a true predator, and it's like I can take him. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I'm not sweating. <laughs> Those guys now. are both going to be in the water in about <laughs> yeah. ten seconds. All I have to do is put one talon through that canoe, yeah. and they're going to be worried about is that, that. A canoe, Larry? <laughs> yep, we got this. <laughs> No problem. Oh, I'll take the fat one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we'll eat for weeks. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> um, oh. could, the, could the movie The Birds ever really happen? I don't think so. You don't think so? No, but okay. it's a great movie. It's a good movie, right? Yeah. All right. I just want to. I would. I just wanted someone's professional. Opinion yeah. No, on. I don't. Yeah. No. Probably not. No. Okay. No. But I think if you wander through the seagull nesting ground, when you, 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 and are you even allowed to do that? Is there a time not really, when it's supposed not, to close? It, it, it's really closed in the in the summer during okay. nesting season. But you know, we uh, is there signs? There are signs, and for a lot of years we would do counts. Now I don't do that anymore. But I would, you, and that's the most miserable, literally oh. the most miserable job is poison ivy everywhere. You're you're going through the rookery like counting blackback and herring gull nests, and you're getting dive bombed and shit on. I had one like hit me with its wing and like draw some blood. You know, so they're they're like so there real. You go. They're, yeah, they're real. They'll, they'll you know every movie get comes bruised. from some yeah. sort of a a starting point where you're like, oh, what? Yeah, if? a kernel yeah. of truth. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Imagine if they just did that in the city, <laughs> out of the blue. You know, birds are like. I feel like they're like snipers, highly trained and specialized. Like they can read the wind and they, you know, oh, can yeah. direct their poop onto exactly the middle of the hood of your car or your moped seat. It was amazing how many times. It was like just dead center in the middle of the moped seat. Nowhere else. The closest I got to getting killed on a motorcycle was a duck. Hmm. I, d I didn't see it. It was a female duck blending in with the brush on Corneck Road. And, of course, I was going just the speed limit, maybe slightly over the speed limit. And it decided, you know, it didn't want to be there. So it took off and it came up in front of me. And I, I had this duck pinned to my chest and both wings flapping me on both sides of the head. <laughs> no way. And I finally yeah. slowed down enough and off it went. <laughs> Talk about an awkward takeoff. I literally was like, what do I do? <laughs> and for my next trick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and God, it was a duck and not an eagle. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So. So look, we're uh, God, man. I could. I never knew I was so curious about birds. I could talk about birds forever. They're really cool. They really are. Yeah. Oh, one last quick question. We kind of got to wrap it up. We're getting okay, short okay. on time. But um, uh, do you do private uh bird tours? 
Yeah, we. I mean, I wouldn't call them private, but we do tour. You know, there we have a lot of opportunities for folks to um, uh, learn from us. We do bird tours. We do uh, nature walks. Um, all sorts of things, especially when we, as we're getting out of COVID, you know, Kim Gaffett does a lot of that for the yep. Nature Conservancy, and, and they take the kids. They is there we do a lot with the kids. Kids. Go bird banding, yep. and they be a part of the bird banding. Absolutely, process? very Absolutely. cool. And yeah. where where can our listeners find more information? Is there a website? There or? is. We have uh, it's uh, the, the nature dot org uh, website um, black, backslash Rhode Island, and the information's okay. right there. Yeah, and you can donate to any of those organizations. Absolutely, anytime you want. Or show up to one of the great fundraisers. Farm that's to right. Table is hopefully going to return. Yep, uh, That's a really nice one. Um, but there's always something going on where you yeah. can give a little money, get the kids yeah. something to do all at one time. Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, the reason I asked if you did private tours, because I'm wondering, would you do a private tour for Rich and I this absolutely. fall? Absolutely. Can we go bird, birding sure. with you? Absolutely. Right. That would be, be cool. fun. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. I, I see so many birds and I'm just fascinated. Like, I I, I'm not just saying that. I really am like, wow. I, we had this woodpecker, a pileated, yeah, pileated. giant, a big yeah. one at our on our. I was at, you know pecking away at the side of our house back home, but uh, they're gorgeous. It's like I, I I'm I so mad at it, but it's so beautiful. And every yeah. once in a while, I see a bird that I you know I thought I was crazy, like oh I've never seen that before, but it's possible. With yeah, yeah, there are a lot of, of weird thousands of birds. A lot of so so in Rhode, so on Block Island. Um, in any given year, just the birds that you would see, you see about 300 species. Yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of what are called variants that just show up. And so some of those are from Europe, some from, you know, from uh, the tundra. It just really depends. Just and, and got blown no, away in a yeah, storm and yeah. this is where it ended up. No and rhyme or reason. Are there crossbreeds? hybrids yeah, yeah like hybrids between like a robin say and a starling or that yeah they have to have some kind of sort of commonality but yeah i caught i caught one when i was banding this um this last fall that was half junko and half white-throated sparrow so the f- the top part the face looked like a white-throated sparrow and the back and the tail looked like a junko wow but you're never going to see like a chickadee and an eagle, like no, a chicken no, eagle. No, no. <laughs> chick eagle, no, a no. chick eagle. The ringtail marshhawk vulture. I could see it in my mind. Though. Yeah, yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Um, what's the what? What's the can if there is one bird that you saw out here and you were like, whoa, mind blower? I that's the last bird, or is it just kind of like? It happens. It happens, but I, I would say the the craziest bird I've seen is uh, it's called a northern lapwing, and there's um, there's actually one in the case. Miss Dickens had one in the 30s or something. It looks like yeah. an alfalfa. Where is the case? Is it still at so the school? school? Yeah, yeah, it's still at the school. So at the Black Island um, School, there's a giant case with all taxidermied the birds. taxidermied yeah. birds oh, from wow. that were you know found dead on uh, Block Island. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So and, go ahead. Sorry. And so anyway, it was just it's from it's from you know between. Uh, Alaska and uh, uh, and Russia in that area. That's where it's supposed to be, and it ended up here. And it ha- so that was like a pretty cool bird to, to track That's down. Any cool. birds you know of that are no more? Like, have you in your lifetime that you've doing seen this, that you know you'll never they're now they're, extinct? Yeah, they're not uh, uh, they're not extinct extinct, but they're expatriated from this area. We don't see them anymore here. Things like upland sandpiper and um, some of the other grasslands. There's certain species that need thousand acres of grassland un- you know contiguous acres of grassland which we just don't have anymore and yeah. those yeah. have have moved to other areas 
Um, but also, for example, things like, you know, Miss Dickens never saw a cardinal on Buck Island. And there's a lot here now. And there's a lot here now. So there's sort of like things are coming in and things yeah. are leaving. It's all about the habitat. There is, you know, there is a decline with birds. I mean, it's just happening for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah. Well, it's a food chain item, you know, whether yep. they're being eaten or what they eat, you know, the bugs are Absolutely. changing. And-, and, and, and some of the things like in fall migration, uh, fruit is really important. They come and eat the fruit because it's abundant. And and then continue on their way. The fr- because it's getting warmer, the fruit is ripe earlier. Yep. Than when they the come, whole, so, so it's sowing the whole thing out of whack. The and lunch carts here in September, September instead of October, October when it should be, or yeah. vice versa, August instead of September. That's right. That's right. Huh. Wow. I've 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 always thought birds were cool, but I've never like been this interested in them now they're pretty i'm cool. dead serious can we hold you to that absolutely that, that yeah, hang I'd be in the fall to. absolutely i'd be All happy right. to do that so when people call me a bird brain it's actually not that bad of a thing right? i guess not yeah, they're yeah. pretty smart smart wicked mm, smart wicked smart. birds can be wicked smart speaking of wicked smart can we do a lightning round <laughs> oh let's do it if Scott's right, so up for it sure. scott we do a quick lightning round at the end of each show with our guests nothing to really think too hard about it's more like off the cuff you, you know whatever you want to say just go with it. Would you like to go first? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, Scott, if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? Duh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would be a bird. And specifically, I think right now, what's been captivating, capturing my uh, fancy right now is uh, hummingbirds. They're just oh. so amazing. Ruby throated hummingbird. And, you know, they, they're just, they can fly backwards and forwards. And I could do a whole episode just on hummingbirds. Absolutely. They're so cool. The climates they invite. Yep. Top of the yep. Alps to the. Unbelievable. I got, a, right. I got a good hummingbird story off. What is the strangest thing you've ever eaten? Oh, so I, I worked in the tropics <laughs> and we were uh, we, we were doing uh, all sorts of uh, collecting birds, you know, for skins. And there was a mystery stew that was every night that was oh. like, all sorts of like birds and bats and whatever was thrown in there. Mystery stew. <laughs> so, good yeah. answer. Wow. Okay. Uh, next question. New Harbor or Old Harbor? New Harbor. Would you rather lose the ability to read or lose the ability to speak? Oh, wow. I'd rather lose the ability to read. Um, okay, next question. Phil, whoop, come in. Hey, it's Chris Willie from Captain Next. Hey, Chris <laughs> Willie, how are you? What's up, dude? Hey, Bird uh, killer. <laughs> Piping plover at about three o'clock. <laughs> yeah, right. How many did you catch? Six. Okay. Cool. Barbecue? Yeah. Barbecue? Can Scott come? It's like chicken, right? <laughs> I know a great recipe for mystery soup or mystery stew. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. I set that up. That was supposed to happen. See you, See you bud. Uh, okay. Next question. Uh, fill in the blank. When I dance, I look like an idiot. It's <laughs> very honest. What was your favorite book growing up? What was my favorite what? Book. Oh, um shoot. A uh, little engine that could. Nice. And then this last question, I think it's already. Like, yeah. This was a Go ahead. Would you rather be able to talk to land animals, animals that fly or animals that live under the water? I'd rather obviously that's We just uh, yeah, you never know. Yeah, you gotta ask. Maybe yeah. maybe yeah. there was a platypus that you were just like, Why? Hey man, what's mm. your sign? Well, I gotta hey, be honest. Hey. You know, as we as I always say, we learn more about people. You know, I didn't know you were that, you know, into 
birds specifically. Yeah, I know? try to hide it because people judge you. Oh, don't. <laughs> no. At your age, come on. When, no. Once you turn 30, <laughs> yeah, right. you're, in the, you're in the clear for whatever it is you like. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for tuning into this episode. Thank you, Scott, for being here with us. Uh, listeners, great having you. Uh, you know, give a give a holler out to our sponsors. We appreciate them and you checking them out. And uh, reach out to us anytime with uh, any anything you want. Suggestions, uh, two guys on bi at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out our social media outlets, uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, and please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, right? And tell That's your it. friends. Yeah, just tell your friends, share it. Yep. Tell them how easy it is to listen and get them on board if you can. Yeah, totally. All right. That's it. That's, That's all it. I got this week. Uh, once again, thanks to Scott Cummings. Thank uh, you. Talking birds. Yeah. Can't Great wait to stuff. talk more. All right. We'll see you uh, next week. All right. All see right. you next week. Hey, Mark. Yeah? If a tufted titmouse crossed with a swallow, what would you call it? Uh, <laughs> sexy. What shall we do with the sailor? What shall we do with the sailor? What shall we do with the